everyone. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, August 26th. I am Michael Beller. I am joined by Jake Seeley and Brandon Funston. We're going to continue our division-by-division look with two more divisions today. Guys, what's going on? How are you doing today? Mm, ready for uh, basically two weeks to tomorrow. Two weeks from tomorrow. Exactly. Chiefs and Texans. Game one, week one. This is great. Listeners can't hear me, but I'm rubbing my hands together. I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it. Unless I edit that out, they'll be able to hear it too. Um, Sorry for giving you extra work there, Michael. I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it. Really get the full feeling of how excited we are for the start of the NFL season. And that's what we're going to bring you here on this episode. Again, we're going division by division, two divisions per episode. We knocked out the AFC East and NFC West earlier this week on today's episode. We are moving to the AFC North and the NFC South. Let's start with that AFC North overall picture for this division. Pretty good fantasy talent. We got 15 players being selected in the top 100 of NFFC draft. Seven of those going in the top 50. You've got Joe Mixon as a first-round pick. You've got Nick Chubb, who, depending on the shape of your league, maybe a first-round pick, definitely a second-round pick. Lamar Jackson, of course, the defending MVP, who you're going to see go as a first-rounder in plenty of home leagues, so there's no shortage of fantasy talent in this AFC North. We're going to start with that defending division champion, the team that had the best record in the AFC last year and the team that is the favorite to win the division again this year, the Baltimore Ravens, minus 225 to win the division on DK Sportsbook. I want to start this discussion with Lamar Jackson because I think we really can't have this discussion without starting it with the defending, the reigning MVP. I guess the best way to talk about Lamar is to put it this way. If we is even if we bake in some sort of regression, how much regression can there be and have him still be willing of being the first quarterback off the board? Jake, why don't you go first? Uh, well, that's where I am in the projections. So that's really what it comes down to is, it, you know, everybody says he's going to run less at uh, the team himself, you know, be more thoughtful or mindful or cautious, whatever word you want to spin on it. And he's thinking more of it. But I, I have him for rushing for less, uh, significantly less. I have him for 974 yards, but six rushing touchdowns, still a hell of a lot. I mean, the fact that he's got six, Patrick Mahomes probably has two, maybe three. Uh, that's an enormous margin to overcome, especially when you're talking about six to 700 more rushing yards. Those right there, because we know rushing is more valuable than passing when it comes to fantasy because it's 10 versus 25 and it's six versus four. I mean, just to make those up right there, he's throwing for a thousand fewer yards in my projections, a thousand fewer yards and eight fewer touchdowns. And he's still now he narrowly edges them out this year, more like 20 points versus that giant gap last year. But it's still 20 points gap. That's I I, I guess narrowly is probably not even the right word, but maybe the only way I could see Patrick Mahomes overcoming, I guess overcoming, I'm getting his throne back (laughs) is if Lamar Jackson takes a huge step back passing wise. Yeah, I think it's you could take off like 10 passing touchdowns and 200 rushing yards. He still would have been the number one quarterback last year. So there's there's a bit of padding he has to be not as good as he was last year and still be uh, at the very top elite of the position. So, uh, And I expect there to be regression, just like Jay mentioned. Um, I don't believe a, a quarterback has ever rushed for back-to-back 1,000 yards. I think Michael Vick had 900 and something his after his 1,000-yard season. So... Uh, it would be an accomplishment. And look at you draft J.K. Dobbins, and you should lean more on your running backs and lean a little bit less on Lamar Jackson. And you've added 
talent in the passing game for Lamar Jackson to throw a little bit more. So I think they ideally want to take Lamar Jackson a little bit less out of harm's way, you know, and uh, and, and that's probably a reason why they're bringing in some of these, these young talents at wide receiver and at running back uh, to do just that. But there's just so much upside to his game that even if he dials it back a little bit, he's still going to be elite. How concerned should we be about the efficiency? And again, efficiency, of course, is a great thing, but about being able to repeat it. Last year, he had a 9% touchdown rate through for 36 touchdowns on 401 attempts. There have been two other seasons in NFL history where a quarterback had a 9% touchdown rate or better on at least 400 attempts. One of them was by Aaron Rodgers. One of them was by Peyton Manning, and both guys took significant steps back in the touchdown rate department the following year. Aaron Rodgers was down at 7.1 and still led the league the next year at a 7.1% touchdown rate. Peyton Manning, the year after he had his 9 and his was almost up at 10, uh, fell down back into the mid-5. So how concerned should we be about him losing that passing touchdown volume this year? Well, so it comes to, I would say it's more about the ratio than the volume. I actually have to have him throwing for 501 attempts this year. I think they pass more this year. Sure. If you're going to ask if you're going to ask him to run less or you're going to try and balance this offense out, I think he can continue to grow as a passer just as he did from his rookie season to his second year. I think that can continue to develop. People still think he's like set and done. It's funny. People thought he was done after his rookie season. Oh, he's never going to succeed. He can't throw. They changed the offense around him all of a sudden. It's like, well, yeah, okay, he was good, but he's not that good. Like, like what? This, <laughs> like, why do people keep wanting to close the book on what Lamar Jackson can grow into? So maybe I'm aggressive with that, but I do have him for 501 attempts and 32 touchdowns, which puts him at 6.3. So... There you go. Like that, yeah. That's a big drop-off from that efficiency and that ratio. 6.3 is a pretty high number in general, as you just mentioned, that Aaron Rodgers, even with that drop-off, drop led the league. But 6.3 is doable in this offense, and it's more doable than people realize the fact that what we're talking about, one of the most explosive, toughest defenses to guard, and similar to the discussion when we had about Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, not mm. everybody has to be at the norm. There's a reason why it's an average, and people exceed that average, and people come below that average. It's just, it's fine. This is something that can work. But 6.3 is actually a significant drop off. All right, Brandon, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I just, I'm just curious. I wanted to clarify. Is that 32 passing touchdowns, or is that combined? 32 passing. passing. Yeah, okay. I yeah. would actually probably take the under on, on 30, but... Uh, he had 36 you know, last if he, year. If he gets to 32, then I think, he, I think he's probably number one. Well, and here's the thing. Again, 401 attempts, 36 last year. I have him for, five, I have him for another 100 attempts mm -hmm. and, four yeah, fewer and four fewer touchdowns. Which right. I mean, that feels especially when you get a, if you get a healthy Marquise Brown all season, that definitely feels like something that could happen for him this year. He also has a couple of capable pass catching backs, and that's where I want to go to next: Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. These guys are being selected about a round apart from each other in a typical draft, with Mark Ingram being the first guy selected and then J.K. Dobbins being the second. Mark Ingram looked like a stud alongside Lamar Jackson last year and really has been one of the more unheralded uh, borderline stars in fantasy over the last few years. If you go back to his last couple of years with the Saints and then his first year with the Ravens last season, this is a, a backfield that is very hard for me to figure out because I love Mark Ingram. I have Mark Ingram in a lot of spots and I want to believe in him, but his team still made that investment in J.K. Dobbins and I feel as though the Rookies are going to be even farther behind than usual. A uh, storyline that we've heard about a lot this summer feels a little overblown. I think there's some truth to it, but it feels a little bit overblown. 
at this stage. How are you guys attacking this backfield? Brandon, why don't you take this one first? Well, the thing I love about Mark Ingram is that he was he was RB eight and a half PPR last year, um, but he only touched the ball two hundred twenty eight times, and there's there's over two hundred touches available between what Gus Edwards and Justice Justice Hill had last year. It's a heavy volume attack. Um, it's you know it's lucrative because Lamar Jackson spreads things out, and when you're playing behind Lamar Jackson as a running back, uh, you, you know you have the wind at your back for sure. This was the most, um, you know, this was the offense that visited the red zone the most. So Ingram had the 15 touchdowns. Five of them came through the air. I think that you're going to see a decent amount of regression. But Mark Ingram missed the game. He he was out of the fourth quarter a lot because mm-hmm. of blowouts. Uh, if things come back around, I think there's, you know, I think there's an easy path for him to get his 220 touches again and J.K. Dobbins to, I don't think he's going to, to be an even platoon partner with him, but I think, you know, 175, 180 touches for Dobbins. And and I don't think Justice Hill touches the ball this year. And Gus Edwards may be early on, but I think Gus Edwards is going to take a backseat to this combination uh, for the bulk of the season. And just because of the volume, um, because of J.K. Dobbins' ability to really be able to go out there and, and make some – Makes a production in the passing game. I think it's going to be just fine. But I clearly have Mark Ingram ahead of J.K. Dobbins in my rankings. And I, I just find Mark Ingram to be the most, you know, the, the best value at the running back position, at least early on in drafts, typically is Mark Ingram when you can get him in the mid-20s. I always just find that insane that he's going that low. Yeah, well, uh, you can just go read the article on the site today because Brandon just took all the time on Mark Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> all right, check the link as always with with our pal Jake Seeley. We can no, talk. I've been Marcus saying Brown. the same stuff the entire offseason. Yeah. I don't I don't understand why people are drafting Dobbins as high as they are. Talent wise, yeah. different team. We'll talk about it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've I've been beating this drum the entire offseason. That's why I'm yeah. joking about it. Next year, maybe we even talk about it. But this year, I think I've I mean, got Mark Ingram down as to, to that one point. Of my favorites too. I told people that if you want to take Dobbins in front of Swift and you don't need a running back for this year in Dynasty, I would do that. To yeah. how much I like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not the right, not the right gear and landing spot, I think, for J.K. Dobbins. I have also been scooping up pretty much as much, much Mark Ingram as I can get my hands on. Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, really interesting guys on this team as well. We spent a bit of time talking about Marquise Brown already. We're gonna have to move on though to the Pittsburgh Steelers plus three fifty to win the AFC North. I want to start this conversation off with Juju Smith-Schuster. A year ago at this time, Antonio Brown gone, still in the NFL but gone, not in Pittsburgh any longer. And we're talking, can Juju be a number one? We've seen him flourish as the number two receiver behind an elite receiver who is going to command all this attention. Now the spotlight is on him. Can he be that number one receiver? The grade, incomplete. Ben Roethlisberger goes down early in the season, and no one in their right mind would fault Juju Smith-Schuster for the shortcomings of a Pittsburgh offense led by Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges last year. So, here we are, one year later, and we have the same question. Jake, can Juju be a real-life number one receiver? Yeah, it's the, still the question that's out there. I think that he can be. It's just whether or not uh, – I'm going to bring back somebody that I think is a good comparison is Anquan Bolden back in the time. Anquan Bolden was like just – like if you had to say number one in the NFL and you grade from one to ten how successful he is, he kind of felt like an 8.5. Is that like you put – 
another Anquan Bolden or better across from him, and he's just going to obliterate defenses. But if you ask him to be the number one, it's just like it's just, he's so close to being that guy, but it's just not quite there. And I, I, I think right now that's what we kind of feel is like Juju Smith-Schuster just might be that kind of guy that just give him somebody to his level across from him, and he's going to dominate as he did two years ago. But can he be the guy who gets double coverage all the time? Can he be the guy that gets bracketed and has to find his ways to work through the defense or, you know, go for the 50-50 balls? He's that big slot option, so a lot of that is kind of worked into the offense of being able to get around it, similar to like Michael Thomas, although Michael Thomas can definitely do it. <laughs> uh, but that those questions are still out there. I, I lean towards, yes, I lean towards Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of college as the, somebody that we thought could be an NFL number one, but I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. And I think that... The good news here is, and I know we haven't brought them up, but we might as well loop into the conversation, is the mix Mm -hmm. of Washington, Deontay Johnson, and Claypool. I think I'm staying away from them because Brandon knows this. Before DK Metcalf, I'm going to compare them to the Seattle Seahawks. It's like you never wanted the number two because it was somebody different every other week. I feel like that might be what we're dealing with the Steelers this year. But the combined talent, and now Eric Ebron at tight end, is enough that Juju's not going to be able to just be triple covered every single game. Brandon, really quick, let me rephrase uh, this question for you since Jake hit most of what we're going for here. Juju Smith-Schuster, ADP neighborhood. He lives with DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper, guys like that. So if you follow Jake's line of thinking, and maybe you think Juju's a stud, no doubt about it, and you can tell me, screw you, new question. I think he's a stud, no <laughs> doubt about it. But if you follow that similar line of thinking, are you comfortable taking him over DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper, guys of that nature? Yeah, I can't forget how much Ben Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger threw the last time he played a full season. I mean, he was just chucking it like crazy. I, we don't. Mm-hmm. I was going to answer that original question: was it doesn't it doesn't really matter if he's a number one in real life because we just want him to be a number one in fantasy. I think I have him ranked twelfth at wide receiver, and I think it's all about just you know. When Juju excelled, it was because he was playing opposite Antonio Brown. And can Deontay Johnson, you know, not be a full Antonio Brown, but do a lot of what Antonio Brown did, draw some attention? Can Chase Claypool, with his size and his athleticism and his apparently non-rookie play in the preseason, if you listen to our own Mark Cavoli talk about him, he's been fantastic in, in preseason. And James Washington, a competent vertical threat. I mean, there's enough there to divert attention away from Juju Smith-Schuster that I think he can be a borderline number one in fantasy. I guess part of this, though, is Ben Roth's big band coming back and being big band. You know, you, you saw some early reports that he was shot putting it like Philip Rivers, and, you know, he's coming back from a pretty big injury. So that's probably the $64,000 question. Yeah, that's a player who I wish we were getting to see at least one preseason game performance out of because not only did he have this injury, this elbow injury, that apparently no quarterback has ever uh, had the surgery he's had and returned to the field, but also 36, 37 years old, too, on top of that. We're not talking about a guy who is early or even in the middle of his career. Ben Roethlisberger clearly in the twilight of his career, so I wish we could see a preseason game from him. Alas, that is not going to be the case this season. Let's talk about those other receivers really quick here for a second. Now, we are recording this. Uh, it is 9.15 a.m. Central Time. When the host lives in Central Time, we can say screw Eastern Time is the default time. I'm going to say Central Time. 9.15 a.m. <laughs> Central Time. So we don't yet have any information 
on steel on the Steelers practice here on Wednesday. But Deontay Johnson has been out since last Wednesday with an undisclosed injury. Uh, let's say this is something that lingers for a while. This is a guy who's being selected as the wide receiver 34 in a typical draft, right in the mid-70s. So we're talking like early mid-seventh round of a 12-team draft. When first of all, does that feel too high to begin with? Secondly, when do you start to get concerned about this lingering injury that has had him out of practice for almost a week? Now, and I was already concerned about the situation to begin with. Uh, something else uh, I've written a couple times is let's not write off James Washington yet. Uh, mm -hmm. James Washington, the thing is between him and Deontay Johnson is they're different wide receivers. Uh, the, the James Washington, I when I said coming out of college, and Emory Hunt, who's on this network, said the same thing. is like one of the best deep ball trackers in that draft that year. What he brings is not what Deontay Johnson brings. So it's going to come down to like really like which skill set makes this offense click better. Maybe it's both. Maybe they run a ton of three wide, and now Eric Ebron gets hurt a little bit. I mean, he'd be out there, but you get my point. Uh, but James Washington, I keep saying, he could be their old Mike Wallace. And that Mike Wallace role is, hey, go run the nine route, run the nine route, run the nine route, and we'll mix in a few other things. But mm. Mike Wallace, for a few years, was supremely valuable in fantasy. Like even Because you had him as your three or four wide receiver. It wasn't that Deshaun Jackson, Let's back in this heyday, where you had to draft him as a number two and get frustrated. So I say all that to say, like, I just don't think that it's locked in Deontay Johnson was ever the number two, guaranteed 100%. And now this injury just compounds the issue. I will say, no matter who it is, even if it was Claypool, if we knew somebody was the number two and going to be out there 80% every single week, you'd probably want him near the top 25. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, with, with Jake. I think it's concerning. And, and another thing is, is you look in the, the 30s range of wide receiver rankings, there's a lot of guys I like in that group. You know, Brandon sure. Cooks is in that group. And if things are going good for Brandon Cooks in the preseason, things aren't going good for Deontay Johnson. That's going to matter in my rankings, right? I'm, I'm, these guys, there's so you're splitting hairs so much that you're going to take any piece of information like this, positive or negative, and react to it in your rankings because uh, that's how tight those rankings are. But I think I, you know, to Jake's point, Juju's going to get his, but there's, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed after that, and it could go a lot of different ways. Marvin Jones, Julian Edelman also in that group, and one other guy who's in that group is Jarvis Landry. That gives us the perfect opportunity to segue to the next team in this division, the Cleveland Browns, plus 550 to win the AFC North. This is a team that a lot of us, a.k.a. me, very strongly me, were excited about last season. All that offensive talent that they had assembled in Cleveland. I personally was buying in. I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I thought this team's going to break through. This team's going to be a contender for the AFC North title. It didn't happen a lot of changes happened this offseason. Most, uh, most notably, you have Freddie Kitchens getting the axe, Kevin Stefanski coming in. Two big offensive line additions, Jack Conklin on one side of the line, the 10th overall pick, Jedrick Wills, on the other side of the line, shoring up what was obviously the greatest offensive weakness for this team last year. Brandon, can 2020 be what so many of us were hoping 2019 could, was going to be for this team, and I guess specifically through the lens of Baker Mayfield? Yeah, you know, I think this is this is a this is a make or break season for Baker Mayfield. I mean, they've went out and they've got him quarterback's best friends and in a nice big tight end Austin Hooper, you know, trusty target there. You got Kareem Hunt can be one of the best receiving running backs. Uh, you got one of the best possession receivers in the league in, in Jarvis Landry and you have one of the, just the most dynamic talents at wide receiver in, in Odell Beckham. So you have everything there in place. You have a more competent head coach steering the ship. So 
it's it's now time for Baker Mayfield. He, he he's got it about as good as a as a quarterback can ask for. And if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't deliver in terms of wins and in fantasy in terms of just being a a borderline or at least you know in the in the QB one discussion, then that that's on him at this point. Yeah, that's everybody got caught up last year, and Baker essentially took a step back. But I'm willing to give him a pass if you watch that office, if you watch that team, and a lot of it being on Freddie Kitchens, who went from mm-hmm. coordinator to assistant to head coach, and just honestly, let's be real about Kitchens shouldn't just he just he got a job he shouldn't have had. <laughs> he shouldn't have been thrown yeah. into that that fast. That he was over his head, and you saw it in the play calling, you saw it in the usage. Uh, it, it trickled down to everybody. And the funny thing I'll say here is, you know, everybody, and I'm going to loop in something that we're not even talking about, but everybody's pushing against Nick Chubb because they're worried about Kareem Hunt. But they're not doing it because they're worried about the offense. They're worried about Kareem Hunt. They're not talking about the fact of three and out at the one-yard line, three and out at the one-yard line. They're not, they're talking about, hey, Kitchens is gone. Things, No. So why is it one and not the other? Kitchens is gone. It could be better for everybody, including Baker, including Odell Beckham, who people had, including Nando DeFino as their number one wide receiver last year. Me I love too. the poke phone. Yeah, yes. Oh, so there you go. You guys were on lockstep on that one. We were. Uh, I, I do think Baker is talented enough to improve and bounce back, and I think a big part of it has to do with the fact that there is no Kitchens. And I think Stefanski will bring in a lot of what we saw with the Vikings and maybe that's not great for fantasy because the the temps won't hit 600 or maybe even 550 but I think you'll see a lot more efficient offense I agree with that completely I want to invest in this offense and one way that I like to invest in it first of all is doubling down on Odell Beckham and secondly isn't (laughs) Nick Chubb count me as the people who think that count me as part of the group that thinks that Nick Chubb is undervalued and Kareem Hunt is overvalued everyone's talking about all the things that could go right with Kareem Hunt, and I grant there are a million things that could go right for Kareem Hunt this season, but I feel like we're not paying enough attention to the downside. Last year, after he came back from the suspension, he had zero games with double-digit carries. We know that's not going to be the the main role he plays for this team, and we know that he can succeed without that being the main role he plays because he had nine targets in his first game, then eight in his second game. He had another nine-target game, but then you also look, three targets, five targets, two targets, four targets, four targets. Like, I think there is a significant downside. There's a bottom here that not enough people are addressing, and I think there's a ceiling to Nick Chubb that also isn't being addressed either. I think Nick Chubb is a late first, early second round pick where we're really seeing him go you know, mid to late second round, and that Kareem Hunt having an ADP that places him in the early 50s overall, I want at least a round discount on that before I'm believing <laughs> that there's going to be enough week-to-week volume to buy in. Um, I, I, where are you guys standing on these two? Uh, well, Kareem Hunt's the better James White, but until Nick Chubb were to get hurt or miss time, that, that's really where he needs to be is in that James White comparison because if he's just going to be used like he was even in that second half, yes, that was great, but some of that touchdown efficiency maybe comes back a little bit. Uh, but we, it really comes down to who we know who Kareem Hunt is, and that's, I think, why people are also True. caught up in it too because it's almost like the D'Angelo Williams behind Le'Veon Bell years, but also somebody who's getting used every single week on top of it, and I think that's why he's inflated. I don't have Kareem Hunt anywhere. I have a ton of Nick Chubb, and I'll give two comparisons again. Like I'll say like the people want to push back on one thing but not another. So people want to push back on Nick Chubb for no passing game, but they're fine drafting Joe Mixon as a top-10 
running back, which Joe Mixon yes. sees two, three, two, three, three, four every single week. And I keep saying that's fine. Joe Mixon doesn't need to do more because he catches like 90% of his balls. Or how about the fact that I think Nick Chubb gets around 280 carries and Derrick Henry gets about 290. Derrick Henry, I have for four more rushing touchdowns. But even if we were to say Nick Chubb's getting zero of the passing game, how much difference is he from really Derrick Henry? And like, is it just the rushing touchdowns? That's really the only difference. But that's why Nick Chubb is a low-end RB1 and not where Derrick Henry is. I'm with you is more the fact of I can't understand the people who don't want to take him even as an RB1. I'm just baffled by that. Yeah, I think you look at last year, a lot of people are going to point to the fact that uh, the second half of the season, Nick Chubb was like RB15. But, you know, I, I kind of dialed in on how what happened in the second half. Uh, you know, uh, Kareem Hunt averaged 10 touches per game in his half season. Three of those touches came from Nick Chubb. If you look at the second half of the season, Nick Chubb averaged like three less touches per game. The backups that were being used with Nick Chubb, they went away completely. So that was an average of about three more touches. And they leaned on that backfield, you know, uh, just a little bit more so that Kareem Hunt could get the four extra touches. But now you got Kevin Stefanski coming in, who was one of the most run-heavy, you know, directors of NFL offenses last year. So do those three touches they took away from Nick Chubb just get back because Kevin Stefanski leans more on the backfield than than Freddie Kitchens did? So I, I think there's that possibility. I'm not too worried about Nick Chubb. I think he's an absolute safe floor, as you mentioned, Michael. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a limited ceiling, but safety in that early, you know, in that early second Mm -hmm. round at running back where with a guy you feel is going to be, you know, pushing 270 to 300 carries and being one of the best guys with the ball in his hands in the league, you'll take that. That second half where, oh, my God, Kareem Hunt's taking so much work away from Nick Chubb. Four 100-yard games, another 92-yard game, and every single game, at least 15 opportunities, and even 15 was the number he hit just once. More often than not, he was pushing up toward 20 carries plus targets, had one, two, three, 20 carry games, period. And that's when Kareem Hunt was in the picture. So we are in absolute unanimous agreement, no concerns about Nick Chubb in the 2020 season. Let's move on to the last team in this division. It is the... Very exciting Cincinnati Bengals. This AFC North, guys, it's going to be a fun division this year. Bengals plus 2,500 to win the division. Probably not going to do that, but definitely going to be a whole lot more fun than they were last season. That typically happens when you trade in Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley for the defending Heisman and national champion, that being Joe Burrow. Instant changes to this offense with Joe Burrow. Of course, we also uh, have uh, just a totally uh, revamped system around him. We've got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, a skinny tree perhaps in Cincinnati. There's just a lot of things to get excited about, but it all starts with Joe Burrow. Brandon, we'll go to you first on this one. How much should we be be buying Joe Burrow, the rookie quarterback, this season? Yeah, I think uh, the fact that he's a rookie gets gets lost a little bit. There's I, there's more hype on Joe Burrow driving his his draft value than I care to invest in. Uh, I've seen him in the you know in the mid teens and going inside the top twenty a lot. My problem is with the quarterback position is there's so many good quarterbacks that I'm going mm-hmm. to at least recognize the fact that we're talking about a rookie going to one of the worst teams in football. They have some exciting talent around him. He has some rushing upside, but I just don't think it's going to be a hit the ground running and he's going to look great from from day one. I think he's going to be a great NFL quarterback ultimately, but I am at QB 21. I'm, I'm a little bit more tempered than most people are, but I, I get... I get why people get excited about this guy. 
You know what the Bengals feel like to me is last year's Browns. <laughs> Everybody's just super excited for everything, and there's a lot of ways that can go wrong. Uh, the one thing, uh, let's say, talk about it. alpha wide receiver and A.J. Green is back and Odell Beckham, an amazing running back, and Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb, a quarterback that everybody wants to get hyped and loved on. And, you know, it's just understandable. But, I mean, we'll talk about the fact that He's coming from college as a rookie. That's one. And talk about the fact that he doesn't have Joe Brady with him anymore. Like, let's, mm-hmm. you know, how much do we want to give Joe Brady for the fact that not only turned around an LSU offense that was yeah, stagnant sure. and running like early 2000s where you don't pass to running backs and everything like that. And one thing Emery's mentioned, uh, I've talked about it when I was talking about rookies and a lot of smart people have is if you watch LSU, it was basically like a, a point-and-click offense is what I call it. Some people call it different things. But he ran a lot of shotgun where he was just sat back. It was quick reads, but it was just sit back and shotgun, find them, throw, find, throw, find, throw. That's not going to be the NFL. We know you have to throw people open. You know you, that decision doesn't come as quick even if you're in shotgun. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is not going to succeed. I'm not saying he can't even break Baker Mayfield's 27 passing touchdowns as a rookie. I'm just saying – there's a lot of risk here before everybody just starts baking in and like <laughs> having all this fun of like, oh, Joe Burrow, 15th quarterback off the board. So, you know, I have him just inside my top 20, barely ahead of Brandon. But I think this offense feels a lot like the hype that we felt for the Browns last year without the overall excitement for the team. So you don't want to let Burrow cook is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Let's talk about these wide receivers really quick. I want him to feast. We'll... How about that? <laughs> feast. feast. Well, who's going to cook for him? Someone's got to cook. If Joe Brady's not going to do it, who's going to do it? Zach Taylor's going to do it. Let's talk about these uh, wide receivers really quickly here because you're not going to take both of them uh, for multiple reasons, one of which being they get drafted right next to each other. Tyler Boyd has an ADP that makes him the 70th player off the board in the typical draft. A.J. Green, two spots later, 72. Let's take this one really quick before we move on to our lightning round. Jake, if you can have one Bengals receiver, who do you want it to be and why? Uh, it's Tyler Boyd because the cost is where it is. If I could get Green around later, I actually would draft them both if I could get them back-to-back rounds that late, like if Green fall, fall, fell that far. Uh, because Green, I think, has top 15 upside if we ever knew what he was, but it's been so long and we don't know what he is at this point. So I'll just take Tyler Boyd because he just proved everybody wrong. He can do well with or without A.J. Green. Yeah, I'll, I will say the same. I have A.J. Green in my do not draft. Not that I don't think the guy's great. I just I'm at the point now where I'm just not going to take on that risk. And I think he was already kind of nursing a little bit of a hammy injury in, in mm-hmm. preseason. But I just I have no faith in this guy playing a full season anymore. And uh, it's too bad because, man, he's been one of the better talents in the league at the wide receiver position for years. Yeah, hurt that hamstring on the first day, literally, of Bengals practice. They've been soft-pedaling with him. They know what the deal is with his injuries and how much he means to the team. They've been taking it easy with him, and he's expected to be back. If not in Wednesday's practice, then sometime by the end of the week. Let's do AFC North Lightning Round really quickly here. One player in this division you are excited to roster. Jake, take it first. Oh, I have I have so much Hollywood Brown, and I'm so excited <laughs> for it. I played through an injury, based, essentially – not being 100% when he came back from it the entire year. And I think Marquise Brown could be like, I, I always reference Deshaun Jackson, but those two great years of Deshaun Jackson, you were not upset having him as your wide receiver too. I'll throw out a super deep guy on the same roster. I'm going to go with Devin DuVernay as one of my favorite, like just last round flyers. Uh, this is a guy that came out of Texas. 22 rounds. Yeah, deep, deep. <laughs> but look at he's got he's got Willie Sneed uh, to you know to beat out a guy who ran a four six something 
coming out of coming out of college and probably runs in the four sevens. Now, Devin DuVernay ran under a four four. He led college in screen pass receptions. He was one of the best in the country in in drop rate. He has great hands. He's a rocket, runs four three nine. He's a yards after catch guy. He's kind of like Golden Tate uh, on rocket fuel. And I'm just thinking his ability to take those screens and break tackles and make something out of it is a wrinkle. I think Baltimore could get really excited about with Lamar Jackson, who's still kind of working on the passing aspect of his game and just you know the accuracy and the efficiency with that. But you know, you turn and you throw a quick screen pass to Devin Duvernay and let him do his thing. I think that could become a thing for the Ravens in 2020. All right. Well, then our thing is. Our bet is he is irrelevant versus relevant this season. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to establish parameters of how much relevance needs to be for him to deliver. Uh, if he's but, even starter worthy and you have to want to start him before that week starts, like he can't just be like, oh, look, he popped up in week eight when he was on 1% of uh-huh. rosters, that, that, that'll be relevant. <laughs> okay. So, in week, so he does something in week eight, and then in week nine, I want to start him, and he does something in week nine. And yes. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Beautiful. Quick parameters figured out. I love that. How about one player in this division who will outperform ADP? Brandon, you take this one. I will just say uh, we talked about Mark Ingram. We know that's a great ADP. I'll also throw out Jarvis Landry, who has never not outperformed ADP. <laughs> never <Yeah>. not. Uh, <laughs> those are the two. That's actually the two all I was going to go with. Uh, I, we already talked about Mark Ingram. Uh, that's a really good one with Jarvis Landry. Disrespected every single year. So I'll I, I'll go back to the Steelers. I'll go James Washington. I think that you know it's not going to be 100 percent reliable. I'm not going to admit that right out of the gate. But I think he'll outperform his ADP because his ADP is doo doo right now. <laughs> All right, a player in this division who will bust could be a value bust, could be an actual just bust. You never want to start him. Who is a player who goes bust in this division, Jake? Joe Burrow. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, honestly, for where he's being drafted, yeah. That's just outside of that, it's hard to find one in this division that could go bust. Like, I'm not going to say Mark Andrews and like Eric Ebron's not even being drafted high. Odell Beckham's now is a low end wide receiver one, so it's, everybody in here is reasonable. So I'll give you one bonus that we didn't mention. Go over to The Athletic, uh, another one of my ADP versus everything else, Austin Hooper. So I'll go positive again because I don't really want any bust in this. I love this entire division. I'm with you. I'll throw out A.J. Green again. If anybody's going to bust at their ADP, it's A.J. AJ Green's proven. It's such a reasonable cost. Uh, not not necessarily though. You could probably get Jarvis Landry at the similar cost. Uh, you know, there's there's other guys there. Oh, like, really? See, I would take A.J. Green there because I know A.J. Green could be top fifteen. Like Landry will just be Landry. Landry's been top fifteen plenty of times, Jake. You, know, I mean, you can go look at the numbers. He's been top fifteen, like. I don't know, like four of the last five years are right there in half PPR and full PPR. He's right up there. Yeah. We got to like send you guys to Columbus, send you guys to some you... neutral ground in Ohio and have an Ohio receiver battle here. <laughs> he's just, he's just, you know, he's demonstrating my point about Landry. People would go, they get this May attitude about him and the guy just delivers our wide receiver two numbers year in and year out. All right. I mean, I like both of them. I really do like both of them. I, I think both those guys, and I want investment in these two offenses. But we got to keep moving. Oh, any division winner bets that you like here? Again, we've got Ravens minus two twenty-five, Steelers plus three fifty, Browns plus five fifty could be an interesting one. Bengals plus twenty-five hundred. Bengals, no. Just, uh, <laughs> only, I would just, I would go, I would go with the Steelers if you're going to go for the odds of not being the favorite. Mm. I, I like. I think the Browns are actually better than the Steelers, and I like the plus. 550 versus a 350 so if i'm going anywhere outside the ravens and i'm not 
you know, I'll, I'll go with the Browns. I can't. Their yeah. their defense is crap. I can't. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why. And they just it lost is, yeah. uh, Delpit. So, like, I mean, right. they, they yeah. have, like, Yeah, no nothing. Grant Delpit for the season after Achilles, right, was the injury for Grant Delpit. Yeah. So, I uh, hate to see that happen to a guy who is going to bring uh, something that that Browns defense really lacked last year and really needed this season. That does it for the AFC North. We will get to the NFC South right after this message. All right, NFC South time, another very fun division. We've got 14 players being selected in the top 109 in the top 50 of the four divisions we have talked to to this point. That is the most. Again, we had seven in the AFC North and eight in the N- or in the AFC North, excuse me, eight in the NFC West. So NFC South with nine. We got uh, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas being selected in the top five, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. This is a power-packed top-heavy division. Let's start with the favorites, the New Orleans Saints, minus 130 to win this division. And I want to start this discussion with Emmanuel Sanders, believe it or not. This is a team that has had no legitimate wide receiver two for years, right? It's been a super skinny tree sort of team that has been great for Michael Thomas. It's been great for Alvin Kamara, great for Mark Ingram when he was still there. Pretty good for Latavius Murray in his first year with the team, but Emmanuel Sanders maybe gives them their first legitimate wide receiver two in years. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to go to you first on this one. How have you been treating Emmanuel Sanders in your drafts thus far, and do you think he is someone who could develop into a more often than not starter this season? I should couch just by saying I've always been a guy that has wrongfully disrespected Emmanuel Sanders more than I should have uh, throughout the years, and I'm doing it again, and I can't help myself. But uh, I, I've, he's, you know, we just did the wide receiver roundtable. We talked about the guy that you've dropped down your rankings the most in the past couple months. And I put Emmanuel Sanders. I just, you know, the more I think about it, first of all, in his final 11 games of last year, if you count the postseason, he was abs- he was at, he was AWOL. He just disappeared. He had one good game. Ten other games, you wouldn't have wanted him anywhere near your starting fantasy roster. Uh, and it wasn't a, you know, it's in a run-heavy 49ers environment. I get it. But he should have been if not the number one, at least the one a with Debo there. Uh, and there should have been enough there for him to make his mark a few times along the way, but he just, he was non-existent. Uh, and then number two with the saints has been non-existent. Uh, yeah, maybe this, he's the best talent that they've had, but there's, there's 200 plus catches between Kamara and Thomas that you have to account mm-hmm. for. There's Jerry cook. There's other guys. Um, and I, I just think this is a situation, again, where he might be the best number two receiver they've had in a while, but it's still likely to be that it's going to be a very inconsistent fantasy impact in that you're going to get the, you know, some weeks where he just simply doesn't give you anything at all. And, and you know, sporadically, he has some nice games that help the bottom line. But I'm just I'm just a little bit, you know, I, I was I was kind of trying to buy into that number two and he's going to really step up and be that guy for them. But it's just maybe not to the level that I think a lot of people think it's going to be. Uh, he was in my projections. I hate column. Uh, I still have him as a wide receiver four, but I also own him nowhere. Uh, mostly because I'll just give the little blurb from that column. As I said, not since Michael Thomas was a rookie has Drew Brees had a second wide receiver that was even fantasy relevant. And that was Ted Ginn. And he only reached eight points eight times. So you even really love Ted Ginn that year. And that's my comparison is like, Ted Ginn's 2017 season was actually pretty good on a whole, but if you wanted that for your entire season, you, you wanted it as your wide receiver four, probably five, and tried to play the matchups. And that's the other part of it is Drew Brees isn't throwing for 5,000 yards and 35 to 40 touchdowns anymore. This isn't that offense anymore. So 
yes, Emmanuel Sanders is the best number two wide receiver even before Ted Ginn that he's had in some time. I and mean, you have to go back to the Marquise Colston days. I mean, he's maybe like Willie Sneed and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. this is better for real life than for fantasy. And that's that's just the problem with it. Yeah, Who knew that Willie Sneed would get two mentions today? Yeah, we should. I'm gonna I'm gonna headline this the Willie Sneed show, <laughs> Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Just Willie Sneed. Don't tag him because it's not really positive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Alvin Kamara. I think we have to. Right, I have written down in our sheet Alvin Kamara quote bounce back. And it seems strange to talk about a guy coming off a season in which he had uh, 1,300 plus yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns as a potential bounce-back candidate. But, you know, last year we were talking about him as maybe the number one overall pick, right? There was no real consensus. There was the McCaffrey backers, the Kamara backers, the Saquon Barkley backers. There was no obvious number one pick going into last season. Kamara was definitely rightfully part of that discussion. And then he didn't really deliver. Still gave you a good season, but didn't fully deliver what you were hoping for, no matter where you took him, in that one, two, or three range. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was barely ever 100% last year. And certainly he was never at 100% at the same time that Drew Brees was playing. Remember, Drew Brees had the thumb injury. Teddy Bridgewater took over. By the time Brees was able to come back, Kamara was dealing with the knee and ankle issues that bothered him for the rest of the season. I think Alvin Kamara is the slam dunk number four overall pick this year behind our obvious top three of CMC, Saquon, and Ezekiel Elliott. I think there's even an argument to make that he could be in that top three supplanting Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know if I would have uh, the stones to go that far, but I do think that we could see back to a you know, 1,600-yard, 15-touchdown sort of season from Alvin Kamara. I do think he is going to, quote, bounce back this year. Jake, how have you been treating him thus far? <laughs> I would say you have to have stones because I think you're nuts, honestly, because <laughs> you like what I did there. Uh, here, here's <laughs> the thing. So I agree with that he wasn't 100%. And if you look at it, the biggest drop-off, he actually performed better on a yards-per-carry basis, is the big drop-off came on his yards per reception. Went from mm-hmm. 8.8 to 6.6, which is also both down from his rookie season. It was 10.1. Good God. Uh, I don't think he's ever getting back to that. But let's say he's 100% and he gets back to the 8.8. Well, he had 81 receptions after having 81 receptions the year before. So he gets back 170, 180 yards. So he goes from 1,300 yards to now he's pushing 15, and that's fine. The biggest concern I have is the carries. Like, Latavius Murray is a piece of this offense. They mix him in. They want to keep Alvin Kamara healthy. Again, I do hope he does bounce back in the passing game. And the touchdown regression went completely the other direction. We all knew the 14 rushing touchdowns, 18 overall, was going to come back. We didn't mm-hmm. expect it to swing wildly opposite. And, you know, he bounced back at the quote unquote bounced back at the end of the season with five, including the playoff game, the two rushing, two rushing. But how many times did he hit 100 rushing yards? Zero. How many times did he hit it the year before? Once. And that was against the Giants where he broke off that huge one and had three rushing touchdowns. The year before that, once. That's my concern. It's like, And he doesn't get 20 carries. He rarely even gets 15 carries. I just don't see enough volume that I would put him in that conversation. I keep saying he's in a tier of his own for me. It's the big four, including Dalvin Cook. His situation is a question mark, of course, but if we knew Dalvin Cook was playing week one, he'd be in my big four. Then Kamara on his own, by himself, on a little island, and then everybody else. But I just, I, I think Kamara will bounce back. I just don't think he's bouncing back to what people wanted last year. I don't think he gets quite back to 2018. I, I'm with you, Michael. I, I think he could challenge Ezekiel Elliott. You know, Jason Garrett was team bell cow. Mike McCarthy hasn't been. So we'll see what happens. Mike McCarthy changes or else he comes in and he... And he you know, 
gives Ezekiel Elliott a workload that's lower than what he's seen in previous seasons. Uh, TBD on that, but I think it's fair to wonder. Um, Alvin Kamara, you're starting with 80 catches. We know that now. We're starting with something around four and a half to five yards per carry. He's done that even when he hasn't been at 100%. And so what? He gets 180, 180 carries and 80 catches. It's all about the touchdowns. And from my mind, like he's one of the best in the red zone guys I've seen in the last several years. I mean, he's so good at with the vision, with the lateral agility. I've always said it looks like he's in he's in the matrix mode where he's just seeing everything in slow motion down there and just picking through the trash. I think he's I think in a healthy season, ten is his is his baseline for touchdowns. So if if I'm getting ten touchdowns, if I'm getting a combined What? Combined or rushing? Total. He had six last year. If he gets to ten and he does everything else yeah. at a hundred, you know, one hundred eighty carries at you know four point eight yards per carry and eighty catches at seven eight yards, I that's those are numbers I'll take, and I think they'll be right up there uh, with like an Ezekiel Elliott. And he still falls short though, and that's the point. That's if Ezekiel is a, is is having the the same workload that we've seen him have year in and year out. And I will take it, that bet. I'll take the 300 carries for Ezekiel. With, with all those receiving weapons, with Tony Pollard in his second year and a guy that <laughs> yes, has, 100%. Save some of this. Guys, we, we still have an <laughs> NFC East episode to get to eventually. Save is, some is, of this. Is time. Tony Pollard the new Jamal Williams who everybody is despises, who owns Ezekiel like everybody despises <laughs> no. owns Aaron Jones? That's the joke we'll of see. it is that Tony Pollard, we saved it for the show, that he's even in the conversation. That's a joke. Yes, we got, we're going to get into that, I promise you. But it'll be sometime next week when we're talking about the NFC East. The rest of this Saints team, Drew Brees, we know what he is. Michael Thomas, we know what he is. Jared Cook, we know what he is. He's Jake's biggest enemy. So we can move on from the Saints and get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Plus 150 to win this NFC South, oh, obviously. Oh, we're moving on? Yeah, we're was, moving on. I, we, I was going to say one more thing. If you give him uh, those – no, because if you give him the extra – Killing two, me. No, because I want to. If you give him the extra 200 <laughs> yards, give him the 200 yards back, give him the extra touchdowns, he still falls 34 points short of Zeke last year. That's, that's a huge Zeke gap. Last that's, that's, that's of Zeke that's last year. That's I know, but that's year, a big gap. That's a big gap. I'm just saying that's a big gap to say Zeke's going to come back. And you. I just gave you Kamara's numbers that you want. That's what I I'm saying. I just think there's more there's more volatility potential this year in Ezekiel is workload. So but I'm, I gave you Camara. I gave you Camara what you wanted for Camara, and he's still 34 more points behind him. Still, Jake, this guy the first two years has been in this in this top three mix. I mean, we know what the upside is for Camara. All I'm saying is, I just gave you I'm, his upside. I just I gave <laughs> you what you wanted. It, it's. <laughs> Now, did you give me 19 touchdowns? Is that completely off the board? Because he's done. Yes, he's completely off the board. Okay. He also you're, fell behind. Not, Dalvin not Cook giving and me his Eckler. upside. Okay. Go ahead. Can I move on now? We're going to talk about the NFC East, guys. I promise you, we're not just going to forget about the NFC East. We're going to get to it. But now we, I want to get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like I was saying, plus 150. Let's talk about this passing game because last year, bad team, right? But unbelievable fantasy passing game in part because. Of how bad the team was. Bad defense. Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions. This was a throw, 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 throw offense. We loved it for Jameis, who still had a great fantasy season despite all those interceptions. Definitely for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Now they get the most accomplished quarterback in NFL history, Tom Brady. Have to believe there's going to be a level of efficiency, a level of competence, a level of protecting the football that was never there in Jameis Winston's tenure. Could that be sneaky bad? 
for the fantasy world? I mean, what are we thinking of Tom Brady in this Bruce Arians offense and what that means for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski for that matter as well? Jake, why don't you go first here? Oh, it's he's more efficient. He doesn't need to throw for 5,000 yards. He's not going to throw for 5,000 yards, but what he will do is throw for 30-plus touchdowns, and I think he might even throw for 33 or 34, for 33.6 and 4,600 yards. Tom Brady isn't dead. Tom Brady was making the best of a terrible Not situation. dead, I can confirm. Yeah. Uh, look, look at what he was dealing with last year, and Edelman was still putting up numbers. He was yelling at, that being Brady, he's yelling at Harry, he's yelling at everybody else on this roster. Yes. Mohamed Sanu blipped on the radar because while he was healthy, he came in and immediately made an impact just to tell you how much the rest of this— I mean, Gunner— Whatever you say his last name, uh, like, was a thing. Like, yeah, like, we're talking about converted quarterbacks to, to wide receivers, and, like, it's just, he was dealing with a crap ton of situations. Like, it was just an awful season, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve part of the blame in the fact that Tom Brady used to be able to make everybody good. He's not that Tom Brady anymore, but he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now you give him arguably the best wide receiver do in the NFL. Gronk is back after now being healthy. And even if he's not, OJ Howard's there, Cameron Brait is there. He's got three options to throw in as the third wide receiver who are going to be fantasy irrelevant, but just another option for him. Again, I think Tom Brady is back to being top 10 quarterback. And if you told me Tom Brady hit 40 touchdowns this year, I wouldn't even blink. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. I probably I don't have him ranked top 10, but I have him ranked right close to that with a bunch of, you know, other, I have talked about this before, kind of in that hall of fame quarterback mix mm-hmm. and you're splitting hairs with that group. But, uh, well, let me ask you this and I'm not, I, I know you're not arguing with me, Brandon, when you can say, you can chime in Mike too, is what's the difference between Tom Brady and Matt Ryan? Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think they're right there. Matt yeah, exactly. Ryan. And everybody's like, Oh, Matt Ryan could be top five again. And everybody's just like, Oh, Tom Brady, whatever. Like, I just, I don't get the disparity between the two of people's minds. No, I have him right the other. I don't have Matt Ryan ranked as a top five guy or even even really that close. I have him ranked right where Brady is, kind of in that back end QB one class. All right. They're all together, right? Being yep. Ryan, Ryan, Brady, Breeze, Breeze yeah. Rogers. I actually Stafford. have I have all three of them right in a row. It's the yeah. veteran yeah. don't run quarterbacks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. And that's where they all should be, and that's Another argument for Superflex because it's way too easy just to grab one of those guys at cost in one QB leagues. But uh, I'm with you. I want to buy. I want to invest in this passing game. And it's like we've never had the opportunity of investing in Tom Brady at a totally reasonable cost with this type of passing attack at his disposal, even at 43 years old. I think that is a smart, smart move to make. Uh, Let's really quickly hit on this backfield because I think we have to talk about it in some way. I'm getting way too many vibes of 2019. I just want to stay far away from this backfield. (laughs) Interestingly, the one guy who I could see myself being uh, investing in would have to obviously be a deep league is falling for Dario Gunbawale again because we know Brady's going to want to throw it to uh, a running back. Ronald Jones, Keyshawn Vaughn, who knows what's going to be with those guys. Gunbawale has proved he can be that sort of player. But again, I would not bet on him being fantasy relevant. This says all the makings of a stay away from me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in on Ronald Jones just for the fact that, you know, even our own Greg o- Oman uh, just tweeted or I tweeted his article from two days ago. Oh, and he wow. said, yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn will have rookie value maybe as a returner. <laughs> like, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. the, so that just kind of tells you like he's completely out of the picture at this point. Ronald Jones, like Garrett Blunt, I feel like is what people are going for. And I don't think he's rushing for 18 touchdowns, but I think he'll be that guy even if he's not used in the passing game. So as your RB3. Absolutely. And yes, I would take a flyer on the goon really late just in case he does fall the into goon. Yeah, yes. the goon. And just in case he's in that James White role. 
<laughs> Badgers, man. Badgers. Badgers uh, right the there, goon, both of them. Uh, you know, 5'11", 205, pass-catching back from Wisconsin is exactly what James White was as well. So I, 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 yeah. I get it, Michael. I know why you're you're drawn to Dari Ogunbowale. It's easy to imagine him becoming the James White of this offense. And who knows? There might be something to that a little bit. Uh, I will say I think LaShawn McCoy is there as a mentor only. He doesn't. He doesn't really, you know, have appreciable snaps during the season. I, I think he's there to, and I, and I, you know, I'm I'm not out on Keyshawn Vaughn. I was never as hyperbolic about him as as a lot of people that I've talked to this this uh, summer have been. But there's, you know, there's I've I've heard comparisons thrown out to Alvin Kamara. I just I just think it's Ronald Jones's job right now, and unless he just doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't show well. Uh, I think he can he can run with it for the year, but we might at some point down down the road in the second half of the season, it might just be like you know what we're not getting as much juice from Ronald Jones as we hope for. It's time to let Keyshawn Vaughn show what he can do. Before we move on to the Falcons here, let me say that all of our athletic NFL beat writers are excellent, but Greg Allman, Mark Caballi, the two guys who we've mentioned on this episode, very fantasy-friendly beat writers as well. Guys who know their teams incredibly well. Both of them have covered their respective teams for a long time. They know their teams in and out, and they are not shy about dropping fantasy hints here and there. Two guys who I know from talking to them are big fantasy football players themselves. So even if you're not a, uh, a Bucks fan, a Steelers fan, two great guys to follow on Twitter for uh, fantasy, Greg Amon and Mark Caballi. Let's talk now about those Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan, who another one we're going to have to strike up as Jake hates Matt Ryan. Another one of Jake's hated guys here, <laughs> Matt Ryan. Just kidding, of course. I actually want to start off talking about Todd Gurley because – I mean, what do we do with Todd Gurley, guys? We have Dirk Cutter coming out on, I think it was Tuesday, I think it was just yesterday, saying that he's getting 15-plus touches per game, which what else is Dirk Cutter going to say realistically at this point? For me, the problem is, is it going to be the plus, or is it going to be you know 15 and actually sort of minus touches per game? I'm actually not that worried about Quadri Allison, Brian Hill, guys like that. I just think that this is going to be a team that lives with that passing game, lives on Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and uh, Calvin Ridley, and Hayden Hurst for that matter, and Todd Gurley does what he does, but more at the 15 touch per game level, and not quite at the 20 touch per game level. You factor in the injury history, you factor in the opportunity cost with taking him, and he ultimately becomes someone who is very easy for me to pass on in draft so far this year. Where are you at, Jake? Uh, actually, um, I'm in, in on Todd Gurley, uh, I think that he still has top 10 upside if he is in... Like, I don't, Ooh, okay. Look, it, it what the, the rest of that backfield, including Edo Smith, nobody holds a candle to Todd Gurley if Todd Gurley is even 90% of what Todd Gurley used to be. 100%. So agree. draft Todd Gurley as your RB2, and then say your prayers, take your vitamins. Actually, maybe send him your vitamins. <laughs> yeah, uh, because vitamins. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. Like If he can just play 15 games, and some weeks, I don't think like the 15 to 25, I think is a reasonable. Everybody's like, oh, that's such a big gap. I think it's a very reasonable expectation. If they're comfortable, why give them 20 carries? But if they need them, they'll turn to him because he's the guy. Uh, it just has to do with can he hold up for the entire season because it's not quite Sony Michelle's knee concerned, but that knee is a legitimate concern at this point. But I think that's why you heard the 15. So I'll buy in. It's his backfield as long as he can stay on the field. He's in the A.J. Green do not draft class for me. He has an arthritic knee. That doesn't get better. It only gets worse. It's degenerative. Um, you have to absolutely manage it. You worry that, uh, you know, late in the season when you need him most, is he going to be there? Is he going to be ineffective or is he even going to be on the field? So, um, yeah, and I, and, you know, and I want to take advantage of my thoughts about that by, you know, grabbing like an Edo Smith late or 
But I just, you know, that's it's such an underwhelming group of backups that they're really going, you know, you can see that they're really going to try to give Todd Gurley, uh, you know, as much of an opportunity as they can possibly give him. I've been throwing this out, and I'm hoping the energy will make it happen because I'd be very interested in a guy like Jordan Wilkins if he ends up getting cut from the Colts, a guy that came from the SEC, uh, from Ole Miss, who I think could be a, a really good fully featured guy as a backup, you know, a, a one injury away kind of guy, but he's buried with the Colts. But man, if they cut him late in the preseason and Atlanta were to sign him, I'd really be interested in Jordan Wilkins because I just don't have a whole lot of faith in Todd Gurley playing a full season. All right, guys, we don't have enough time to talk about both of these next two things, so I'm going to put it to you. You want to talk about the receivers and, you know, mostly Calvin Ridley, Julio's Julio, or do you want to talk about Hayden Hurst? Uh, easy version. Hayden Hurst, 13 games, Austin Hooper over 16 games for Hayden Hurst deserves to be top seven tight end. Easy, done. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, if you want to hear us talk about Julio and Ridley, I think we we covered them pretty good in our wide receiver podcast uh, last week. We did. So, um, yeah, I'm okay moving on. I'm okay leaving it at that for Hayden Hurst. I'm in. I'm in on Hayden Hurst. With, he's a one-for-one one trade for Austin Hooper. Well, over six, that's what I'm saying. Over 16, he can get the volume that Hooper had in 13, and that's all I'm asking for. Hayden Hurst, Helmsley, let's do it, Triple H. Hayden Hurst, Helmsley, I am down. I am, I'm in on him as well. And, yes, check out that wide receiver episode where we did get into Julio and Calvin Ridley quite a bit. You can find it you can by searching our previous episodes. And, of course, if you're on iTunes, Spotify, listen to us, give it a subscribe. It'll just show up right to you. You won't even have to go find it. It'll come to you. That's beauty of subscribing to all of our athletic podcasts. One more team to talk about here. It is the Carolina Panthers plus 2200 to win the division. That's not going to happen, but a team that I think is building toward a future. And of course it all starts with that new regime coming from the college ranks. We got Matt rule from Baylor as the head coach, Joe Brady, who we talked about in relation to Joe Burrow. He coming from LSU to run this team's offense. And then you got Teddy Bridgewater, as the new quarterback here uh, on yesterday's version of this show with Nando and Emery Hunt. Emery was talking about, you know, Joe Brady, the time he spent with uh, with um, with Teddy in New Orleans. Then he goes to uh, LSU and remakes Joe Burrow in the way you were talking about. Jake remakes that entire offense. And now he gets to rejoin up with Teddy Bridgewater, a guy mm -hmm. who Emery was pointing out has a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses yeah. as Joe Burrow. How do we think that plays out in year one with all these guys together? I think it can work, and I think that people wanting Teddy to be the breakout quarterback this year, uh, the point and click. There you go. I, I think that he said. I listened to that podcast. Emery said something similar. That's the upside for him. My my biggest concern about Teddy is he throws five hundred fifty times or six hundred times. Six hundred times, he's probably pushing QB one status. Five fifty, he's probably not really even that starter in a one quarterback league. So it just comes down to how much is this offense going to be passing, and there's a good chance with how terrible the defense is. Yeah, I I just I think Teddy Bridgewater is Alex Smith without the rushing upside. I just I I have never been a Teddy Bridgewater fan. Just watching him play, I think he's got one of the slowest releases in the league. He doesn't like to throw downfield a whole lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you he's could time it with an hourglass. Yeah, he's accurate <laughs> and he's a game manager. Uh, I just I could never envision him. He'd have to throw. You know, in my mind, I'd need at least 650 pass attempts for me to even consider. 650, wow. To, to, well, I'm just saying how much it would take for me to even think that he has a possibility of being a QB1. I just, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I will own Teddy Bridgewater. I will own him is, nowhere. Yeah. I, no faith. <laughs> And we're throwing it back to uh, like uh, mid two thousand, mid middle of last decade. Matthew Stafford, six hundred fifty pass attempts. I think that was Roethlisberger in twenty eighteen. 
Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Right? He's yeah. like 670. I think he had something like that. Um, all right. Well, let's – We Christian McCaffrey, number one overall pick. Don't need to talk about him. But if we are thinking this way about uh, Teddy Bridgewater, then how do we feel about the DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, three-headed wide receiver group? I mean, DJ Moore, clearly the guy who is getting drafted as the highest, and rightfully so. But all these guys have their charms. Teddy Bridgewater – does he fit with one of them better than the others? Does he make someone yes. overvalued, someone yeah. undervalued? All right, what, what is it, Jake? It's the point and click in the short game, and that's why he fits super well with DJ Moore. And DJ Moore, I don't have as a wide receiver one or knocking on that door quite yet, but I think he's a great wide receiver too. I think he can put up last year's numbers again, which means wide receiver 15, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that range. But I think he's also being a little bit overdrafted because people think he's going to build off of last year. I just don't know if I see it because Teddy's going to keep him in that short game. And that's why I think Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson going for the deep balls are a little bit of a concern but I do think Ian Thomas can break out with Teddy in that realm of still hitting that 10 to 15 yard mark yeah you know Michael Thomas was able to to make hay with Teddy Bridgewater and I Mm -hmm. I can see the same same deal you know the nice thing about DJ Moore is yeah his you know his air yards per target probably goes down with Teddy Bridgewater but he's such a good yak guy that that's okay you just give him the volume he's still going to break some big plays because he can do so much with the ball in his hands all right, lightning round time, and then we'll wrap this baby up. One player in this division you are excited to roster. Jake, who you got? Hayden Hurst. We already said it. I have yeah. so much Hayden Hurst. Uh, I will say Julio Jones just at the at the very end of the first round, early second round. Every time I'm there, I'm, I'm hoping he lands with me, in all, and he does all the time. I love his volume upside. Yeah, has not been very often in Julio Jones' career where you were able to pair him with one of the elite, elite, elite running backs, and that is definitely something that you can do this season. One player in this division who will outperform ADP, Brandon. Oh, gosh. Probably, you know, I think Ian Thomas, as as Jake mentioned, is a good candidate for that. I'll throw his his name out there. Hayden Hurst. Doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Man, do you like Hayden Hurst or do you love this guy? I mean, how much of it is the Triple H thing? Uh, it's another. It's the funny thing is, is I, used to, I, was jo- I was the guy, one of the people, joking the Ravens for taking the better tight end later in the draft, and now I love the guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about one player in this division who's going to bust, Jake? Hayden Hurst. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, for the draft cost – it's tough to find one in this division, but I'll say we talked about Emmanuel Sanders, so that kind of feels like the easy one to pick out there. So <laughs> that was my, uh, <laughs> I, you know, for draft costs, I'll say Calvin Ridley. People are drafting him just outside of the wide receiver one range, and I think it's I think it's going to take Julio taking a significant step back for him to push that. Yeah, I, I guess I'll throw out Ronald Jones. I, I don't really believe that, but I think if someone has a tenuous, you know, someone who's kind of rising up has a little bit more of a tenuous value, I think it's it's Ronald Jones just because there are guys behind him that they might get uh, more excited about as the season wears along. Yeah, Ronald Jones now pick number 60 in a typical draft. That is the last pick in the fifth round. Last question for you guys. Uh, Saints minus 130, Bucks plus 150, Falcons plus 800, Panthers plus 2200. Any of those tempt you? Yeah, the Falcons, their defense is starting to play a little bit better, and they can, you know, if this division gets banged up enough against each other, not physically, but just like beat each other up enough. I, I mean, the Falcons, I could see going ten and six and winning the division. Yeah, the Bucks have a, you know, have a defense is improving. Their offense is vastly improved. They got a guy who's not going to throw, you know, he's going to throw probably a third the amount of interceptions. The at return most. just isn't there for me. Like that. No, feels but like, I mean, I mean, the Saints feel like the best team still. But yeah. if you're going to say if you if you think the Buccaneers are close, you're getting a much better value on, you know, on going plus 150 with them. 
I almost always I hate going for the favorite. I'm pretty much never going to pay the premium to bet on a favorite to win a division. But betting, laying 130 to win 100 on the Saints, I think they are easily the best team in this division. And I still think they're the best team in the NFC. So this is one of those rare instances where I will back the favorite from a betting perspective and go with the Saints here. And that is going to do it. we got to wrap things up here. It's been a fun hour for us. Hopefully it's been a fun hour for you listening in. Keep listening in to this show. We're coming at you four days a week, every week, up until the start of the season. We will add a fifth show on Fridays uh, when the season begins in week one. Actually, that show will begin the week before week one on Friday, September 4th. Also, check out our new athletic NFL show, with Robert Mays as the host. That's Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then our fantasy show on Fridays. We'll be over to there as well. You can still get a seven-day free trial to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod. For Jake and Brandon, I am Michael Beller. This show will be back with you tomorrow. Nando DeFino and Eric Moody on the microphones. The three of us will be back with you on Monday. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Have a great day.